0: Hi, I'm Rebecca, and this is my podcast, The Second Half. Thank you to all of you that have been listening to the podcast and to anyone else that just joined us today. This podcast is about the challenges and joys we experience, especially in the second half of our lives. I hope that the stories that my guests and I share will make you feel less alone as you face your own challenges and will make us all feel more connected as a community. Today on the show, I talk to Dr. Cecily Havard about healthcare as it relates to the LGBTQ community. Dr. Havard is a family doctor with special interests in women's health and mental health. She's been practicing for over 15 years. She also teaches medical students at Georgetown University. She's got a number of awards, including the Washingtonian Magazine's Top Doctor Award, numerous years, including the last three years. Here we go. Hi, Cecily, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Hi, Rebecca, great to be here.
0: I thought today we could talk about healthcare um, specifically for the LGBTQ community.
1: Absolutely, happy to uh, share any insight I have.
0: What are some of the unique health issues that come up within the community?
1: the lgbtq community definitely faces um health concerns um and health issues that are a little bit different i would have to say what uh the, the biggest impact that this community faces is probably uh, mental health mm-hmm. uh that's something that we that, that they really tend to struggle with the uh The statistics do show that anxiety, depression, and even the rates of suicide are very high in this community, um, twice that um, in um, you know in other communities. So this uh, so that's something that we really have to uh, focus on as providers. Uh, it's, you know, as as healthcare providers, you know, you know, we focus on physical health a lot. You know, you come in for a cough or a cold or even when you're physical, and a lot of times we talk about the physical complaints that are going on, you know, my foot hurts or you know I have these headaches. Um, and a lot of times the healthcare community doesn't always ask the right questions, which is also something that the LGBTQ community suffers from. It's uh, just that, you know, not necessarily the right questions are being asked. So um, asking questions about mental health, asking questions about safety, even this, uh, this community faces uh, more violence, unfortunately, more bullying. And um, and then, unfortunately, um, homophobia even within the healthcare community is something that uh, that they face. And a lot of times, uh, the LGBTQ community doesn't feel safe even going to their doctor. Right. So these are you know just just different layers, I guess uh, you know that this community faces in even accessing healthcare. Right. So that's, 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 that's something that, that we all have to remember as healthcare providers and also as members of our community.
0: That's interesting. So there are barriers to healthcare for the community.
1: Absolutely. There, um, there are a lot of barriers, uh, you know, one thing to, you know, one barrier to, um, to think about even is insurance, um, healthcare insurance, uh, especially for, um, spousal arrangements. A lot of times, uh, you know, the LGBTQ community, um, you know, there, uh, as a couple, the insurance company doesn't always recognize mm-hmm. that the, that, that the The partner is a member of the family, and a lot of times that that insurance can be um, can be denied. I think we've made, and the insurance companies have made uh, a lot of progress, especially with. Um, with uh, gay marriage um, being, you know, something that's mo- that we've moved forward with a lot and has been recognized more, but um, traditionally that has been a big barrier to right. to healthcare just just that access right. uh, and uh, and access in general. The um, the LGBTQ community tends to have more um, struggle more with homelessness, really? and so you know, being being homeless, being without a job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, doesn't give you access to, to healthcare in this country, unfortunately. So, uh, those are, those are, those are a few of the barriers. Okay. Do some of, uh,
0: the individuals in the community avoid healthcare settings? Have you seen?
1: They do. And I I think, you know, we touched on it a little bit just with, um, this fear of, um, just the homophobia, Mm. uh, fears are They're not sure if, uh, if their healthcare provider, um, is open. Is is affirming. Um, they're afraid of judgment. When you go see your doctor, it's um, you know it's a place of vulnerability. Um, you really open yourself up um, there. And if you don't have uh, the trust with your healthcare provider, uh, it can be it can be very scary. And uh, a lot of times, avoidance is is. Uh, you know, is what we choose to do instead of put ourselves into a vulnerable, right. um, position. Um, but, you know, the LGBTQ community also, you know, they, the, the fear that they have, unfortunately is, um, is, is well-founded. It's, uh, you know, there has been a lot of violence, um, and, you know, they, they, they even fear for, you know, just their, their physical health. They're, they they, they, you know, even even in a in a healthcare provider's office, right. um, yeah, yeah. So, um, so there's that avoidance um, aspect. But the other, um, uh, another uh, thing to consider also is, um, especially in the LGBTQ youth mm-hmm. is confidentiality. Right. Um, uh, you know, it's, um, you know, young people who are exploring their sexuality, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, may have questions, right. uh, about that and they may want to, you know, come and talk to their doctor about it. They, They may be afraid that you'll go and you'll, you know, you'll talk to their parents um, about, you know, something, you know, things that are going on in their lives. And so there's a confidentiality um, aspect.
0: How does that work? Are doctors required uh, at a certain age to talk to the parents or are the kids able to have um, that privacy with their doctor?
1: Well, in general, you know, regardless of the age of the child, you know, our our duty is to to listen and protect Mm -hmm. um, that individual. And so that is our number one um, priority in terms of, uh, you know, sometimes we do have to talk to parents if we are concerned about a child's safety. Mm -hmm. Um, If we're concerned about, you know, from a mental health standpoint, either, you know, concerned about their mental health safety, you know, talking about suicide, talking about other aspects, you know, we definitely would want to bring a a trusted um, adult into the mix. So that is one, you know, one way we'll reach out. Um, But what I like to do, especially for adolescents, is to spend time with them. Um, apart from their parents, you know, we'll ha- we'll have some time in the office with with the family. And then I say, you know, this as as we get old, older, it's important to recognize our independence in, in our healthcare and our healthcare decisions. And also, you know, respecting um, people's privacy is important. So I like to. Uh, talk to the adolescents, and you know, say that this is something I'd like to you know do without your parent in the room, and and most of the time that's that's something that they'll you know that the parents will agree to, um, and then in that that time that I'm alone with the adolescent, I like to establish um, some groundwork towards trust. Mm-hmm. I say that what um, he or she is telling me is is confidential mm-hmm. and uh, that it, you know it's important to um to share what's on their mind so there are certain uh issues such as um sexuality um reproductive health mm-hmm. um uh sexually transmitted infections that is something that we can keep private um with um with the adolescent and mm-hmm. we don't have to talk to the parents about that okay. i will have a very you know a very a conversation with the child or adolescent about that in terms of uh you know this is something that it's important that we talk to to our parents about and I, I try to encourage them to talk to their family about right. it but sometimes the you know people uh, you know kids are living in families that where it's not necessarily safe to talk about this. Right. Uh, and so again, my, you know, our priority is to, um, is to keep the, is to keep the patient safe. Right.
0: You mentioned that sometimes there is an avoidance of going to healthcare providers, um, with individuals in the community. What are some of the risks that come with that?
1: When you avoid going to the doctor, you, um, unfortunately don't have access to a lot of, um, healthcare in general, a lot of what we do, especially in the primary care field is preventative care is screening. So imagine if you're avoiding going to see your doctor, um, you know, you may not be getting your um, breast cancer screening, your cervical cancer screening. So your mammograms and your pap smears, uh, you um, colon cancer screening, you're not necessarily going to um, get access to that. So, uh, you know, these communities um, can potentially face uh, more cancer just because they've avoided the screening part. Um, cardiovascular disease is also something that's very preventable. Uh, screening is important, but also the, uh, you know, the, the counseling towards healthy lifestyle, avoidance of smoking, exercise, uh, you know, whereas healthcare providers, we, we play a role in, in trying to keep our communities healthy. but you know if you're avoiding your doctor for various reasons you're you're not going to necessarily get that that counseling
0: how about the rate of substance abuse in the community what are you seeing with patients that come to you
1: Unfortunately, substance abuse is much higher in the lgbtq community, and uh, you know a, a lot of times um, the use of drugs the use of alcohol is a coping mechanism, right. and um, a lot of the the pain and the struggle that this community uh, is facing, uh, you know, and especially if they don't have good access to uh, medical care, as, as we've alluded to, frequently you'll look towards um, other substances as a coping mechanism, as a way to sort of, you know, numb the pain. Um, but unfortunately, you know, with the use of these um, substances, it also increases um, mental health problems. Mm-hmm. So you're in this catch-22 where you're trying to numb, you know, your depression, your anxiety by using these substances, but at the same time, these substances are creating more problems. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's, it's a vicious cycle. So this is, this is also something that um, as healthcare providers, when we are, um, you know, helping out um, the LGBTQ community, um, you know, asking about um, substance abuse and um, smoking rates are also much higher. Um, and yeah. LGBTQ community. Yeah, yeah, it's it's higher so and as we know uh with smoking you know that increases the risk for cardiovascular disease and yeah. increases the risk for lung disease. So what can we do?
0: What can we do to increase kind of uh, the openness in the healthcare community to um the LGBTQ community and help um individuals feel safe and feel that they can come in and be in a place where they can get the help they need without facing any of those fears that is keeping them away.
1: So I think that a lot of this rests on the healthcare providers themselves and, um, you know, starting even as far back as um, training, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, introducing doctors and training and healthcare providers and training to Uh, The fact that this is that this is an issue and creating uh, a safe and affirming medical practice is something that we should all be trying to do. Uh, You know, I think that uh, as a medical provider. Being able to communicate uh, with the LGBTQ community and showing that your practice is an affirming practice, whether it's putting a rainbow flag on your website, um, you know, having, uh, you know, uh, just, you know, whether it's, it's posters or um, signs of, 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 you know, acceptance mm-hmm. in your waiting room, right. uh, you know, it goes a long way. And that's so, fun. yeah. And, and also just, even when you get, that's just getting through the door, right. but then, you know, then you, when you bring in the patient back into the examination room, you know, really, um, approaching, uh, not necessarily, not assuming that everybody's heterosexual. I think that's, that's, you know, uh, that's something that happens a lot. And I think that when you talk to LGBTQ community, you know, one of the, you know, they'll, they'll talk to a healthcare provider and, you know, as a woman, they'll say, well, you know, what do you use for birth control? you know, what's, you know, how do you, how do you avoid pregnancy? Because there you're assuming Mm -hmm. that, that she has a a, a sexual partner that's a male. So, um, or asking, are you, do you have a girlfriend? Do you have a boyfriend? And, you know, assuming that they're heterosexual, but I think even those statements or those questions Mm -hmm. says a lot. Mm -hmm. And if you can, as a healthcare provider, not assume uh, anything really, and just be more open-ended mm-hmm. and, uh, and very, you know, comfortable just asking, you know, are you sexually active? So, you know, when you have a patient in the room and you're acts and you're asking them about, you know, their, their sexual activity, uh, instead of, you know, instead of saying, are you sexually active with, you know, a male, are you sexually active with a female or assuming that saying, are you sexually active with, uh, w- with men, women, Uh, or both? Uh, What what are your preferences? Who do you prefer? And some members of the, uh, you know, in our community are also um, pansexual. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're asexual. And, you know, so just really being open to uh, where someone is in that process. One other, um, I mean, there's lots of things that we can do. Uh, Something specifically, um, that addresses some of the um, barriers that face the trans community is uh, y- even just as simple as the paperwork that you yeah. fill out when you first come in to um, talk to your doctor. I mean, one of the first questions it asks maybe the third name, date of birth, and the next question is, "What is your sex or what is your gender?" Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you know, there when the especially in the the trans community, um, you may not necessarily even. Associate with with a gender or a sex. I mean, you might you may might be binary, and so just having you know having to choose one or the other is can be challenging. Uh, you know, you know, one of the approaches that I like to take is what was uh, you know your your sex assigned at birth. Mm-hmm. So that's something that. Uh, you know, that, that we can all start with. And then, um, and then what is the sex that you associate or the gender that you associate with now? And so, I mean, sometimes that's trans, which is, which means different. Sometimes that's cis, which means the same, but just having, uh, asking those questions um, is important. Uh, If you can imagine just how one would feel um, you know, just facing, you know, a, a question like that, that just could, it raises up so many walls right. and, uh, you know, just, just having, uh, you know, more openness, even in the questioning in the is really important. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, um, for some of my trans patients, you know, it's, I, uh, you know, will have, um, trans male patients, who were born female, mm-hmm. and you know, you still need to do the appropriate cancer screening. Um, you know, unless there has been um, a gender reassigned um, surgery. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of times a trans male may still have a cervix, mm-hmm. and so I'll have to do cervical cancer screening, or a Pap smear, or yeah. mammograms. Right. And so that's something that you know, just knowing you're assigned sex at birth. Yeah. And then knowing how you identify now right. is important. Uh, so it's it, it just just having um, the the paperwork in general can be can be pivotal right. in um, creating an affirming medical space. Right,
0: that makes sense. How about uh, with young people? Around what age are you seeing that kids start to ask you questions about their sexuality, or does it completely vary?
1: I think it completely varies. I mean, to be honest, um, you know, you know, adolescence, adolescence is probably at that stage when uh, when one starts to explore their sexuality or their sexual preferences or their attraction towards other people a little bit more, Um, you know. And I mean, it's not to say that, you know, even at very young ages, I've had, you know, some Some, you know, four and five year olds who are aware that they um, have attractions towards, you know, the same sex and they, they may know that at that point. But I think it's more common in adolescence to start to explore that a little bit more. And, uh, whether or not they actually, you know, want to talk to their doctor about it is another question, but I think our job is to at least set the stage and be open mm-hmm. to talking about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, so the doctor's office is, is one area, you, you know, that that's important to be a safe place. But if you look at the statistics, you know, um, in terms of when, uh, teens, adolescents, when they, you know, who they come out to is, you know, doctors are further down on the, right. on the, uh, uh, you know, totem pole, I guess, if you want to put it that way. I mean, who they come out to first is usually their friends, right. um, and, uh, and it, or some, you know, safe, um, safe adult. Um, parents are somewhere in the middle, and a lot of it does depend on how, um, how safe the the child feels in in terms of talking. And talking about that. Well, one of the
0: things that you mentioned, mental health, um, is something that I do really care about for all communities, uh, especially the youth, um, and as it relates to suicide. And I do know that suicide rates are, um, higher in the uh, LGBTQ community for youths. That's something that really concerns me, um, just generally for young people and suicide and something that I I try to talk to my kids about, try to be open with, but at the same time, I get scared as a parent, do I talk, you know, how much should I talk about that? If I talk about it too much, does that open up the conversation about suicide to a level where it makes it something that's, that's real or, uh, uh, you know, and so there is this feeling that you get as a parent that, you know, it's so scary. It's terrifying. So sometimes we don't want to talk, even mention the word, but at the same time, I feel like we have to do something and, it, it, that communi- we have to be we have to lean on the side of communicating and talking more as opposed to being sitting in that place of fear because it's happening our young people are committing suicide um and in fact from what i have seen the statistics are that rates of suicide have has gone up for um uh young women it's gone up for different communities, and we need to talk about it and how we can help them
1: uh, you you touch on a very, very important subject and something that's very, very difficult uh, as parents to talk to our children about um, it does that doesn't mean that we shouldn't talk about right. it uh, you know I think um, you know you know suicide is is sort of the end result of a sequence of right you know, very difficult emotional um, processes. And so, you know, usually depression, anxiety, mental health, Mm -hmm. something, a violence even. And Mm -hmm. so also talking about uh, those issues, those issues that lead to suicide are important uh, because it's, you know, it's also important to recognize what may bring a person to feel so helpless and hopeless that this seems like an answer. Uh, so, you know, the communication at home is very important, but, um, also the communication in school, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. probably, you know, that's almost as important, um, uh, what we can do to talk to our, to our children at home. Um, I mean, children spend, I mean, before COVID and (laughs) we're all doing homeschooling, but, um, Mm -hmm. you know, school is where children spend a majority of their time. And, uh, you know, it's a place that has to feel safe for them. Uh, there are um, in uh, schools, especially middle schools and high schools, uh, there are uh, GSAs, which are Gay Straight Alliances. Mm-hmm. Um, these are clubs that, um, that are safe places for um, the LGBTQ community as well as their allies. And I think just having a club like this at a school says a lot. Right. towards uh, towards acceptance. And uh, studies, um, some recent studies have actually shown that having a GSA in your school can actually reduce um, rates of suicide in youth. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't just include LGBTQ youth. That includes uh, heterosexual males. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that probably says a lot for just creating a community of acceptance mm-hmm. and uh you know just just lifting some of the the stigma uh that that exists right
0: and i like the idea of our healthcare providers um being more open and showing kids you know adolescents when they're ready to be talking to a doctor by themselves um that there is that privacy, there is that safe space to talk about anything, including any, um, any things that they're scared of or questioning, um, just for that, it's an additional place where that one conversation might be something that allows, uh, allows an adolescent to think, okay, okay maybe this is a safe space where I can discuss some thoughts I'm having or some fears or some anxieties and depression.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree. I mean, one of our goals as healthcare providers, I think I've mentioned it before, is to create a safe space. And, uh, you know, the more safe spaces that we can create for our patients, whether they're adolescents or even adults, um, the better. I mean, it's, um, you know, we, you know, we're all in this together. We, um, you know, we need to create um, a community of support. And, uh, you know, going to your healthcare provider should should provide that. That should be one of the number one places, one of the first places you think of when you're struggling, when you're hurting, and not just hurting physically, but but hurting emotionally. Yeah. This should be a safe place for you.
0: Yeah. The, and your healthcare provider has so many resources that can they can point you to. So we don't usually think of You know, maybe some people think, wait, if I have mental health issues, I should go to a therapist, but I'm afraid to go to a therapist. Where do I even find a therapist? Or I might need, you know, should I even consider medication? Well, one of the things that um, we've talked about on the podcast before is the first step is talk to your general practitioner and start there. They have a lot of resources. They can refer you to people. They can give you information when we don't know where to start, there's a, there's a loneliness in that. And there's a fear in that for all ages. I mean, suicide is not just uh, something that affects young people. Obviously it affects people of all ages. And, um, one of the safe spaces to talk about things is are with our doctor. And the more we feel like we can open up to our doctor, I think that the, um, it helps alleviate some of that fear and loneliness. And as long as we feel safe with
1: them. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, like you alluded to the primary care doctor, a lot of times is a great starting off point. You know, like I think I've mentioned before in previous podcasts, we're sort of the project manager. Mm-hmm. Um, we can, we can help, you know, get you to um, the right place and then also help coordinate that care. Yeah, and um, it's a team. It's it's it. Sometimes it can be, uh, you know, it needs to be a group effort. Yeah. So, um, that's so that's cool. sort of what we're trained to do, and and you know, as a family practice doctor, it's something that I've you know committed to do um, by by accepting this uh, this this career choice. Yeah.
0: Cecily, thank you so much for coming on um, the show and talking about this important um, topic, and uh, I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I'm I'm happy to, uh, to join you at any time. And thanks for letting me talk about such an important subject, thank especially you. during Pride Month.
0: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Bye.
1: Okay. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Hi. Thanks for listening to the show. If you liked it, please subscribe to the podcast and rate it and leave a review. See you next week on The Second Half.